It was late in the morning of January 17th, 2021, in the city of Baltimore, a city notorious for its violence, corrupt police departments, homicide rates, and drug problems. It would seem like another homicide wouldn't raise any eyebrows in a city like this, but this wasn't just anyone who was shot dead. Not to say that anyone's life matters any less, but Dante Barksdale was a prominent figure in the anti-violence movement in the city. He worked for a program called Safe Streets as a program coordinator and helped to mediate issues that would otherwise escalate into violence in the city he called home for the entirety of his 46 years. On January 17th, though, Dante Barksdale was shot six times in the head near Douglas Homes, a public housing complex in southeast Baltimore, a location he had just brought winter coats to just a week before. It was 11.17 a.m., and Dante lay lifeless before a crowd that began to gather. I'm Catherine Galvin, and you're listening to Murder and Mediumship. Before getting to today's episode, enrollment for intuitive development is open. The class begins on March 7th and meets once per week for six weeks, every Tuesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for 45 minutes to an hour. The course is priced on a sliding scale basis so you can pay what you feel is most comfortable for you. And if you've been on the fence on whether or not to dive into connecting to your inner voice, higher self, or even ready to explore what your intuitive abilities could be, this is a super basic class to learn about various forms of psychic sense and to learn how to connect as a psychic and as a medium. If you're looking for something a bit more advanced than basic, consider joining the Murder and Mediumship Patreon Intuitively Aligned tiers, both basic and premium, for twice monthly development circles. All right, let's get back to the episode. Dante grew up in a high-rise Lafayette Courts public housing development that was demolished in 1995. If you watched crime-themed television in the early 2000s at all, then you're probably familiar with the HBO series The Wire, a loosely based on a true story series about the drug scene in Baltimore told through the eyes of both the drug dealers and law enforcement. I have not seen this series, though I'm curious now after researching the murder of Dante Barksdale to see exactly how this compares to real life for the Barksdale family. One of the main characters and drug dealers in The Wire was based on Dante's uncle, Nathan Bodie Barksdale. Dante started off following his uncle, selling drugs by his side at a fairly young age and living up to his family name. After spending some time in prison, though, and the birth of his first daughter, he chose differently. He chose radically differently. He chose to get out of the scene and bring a different resonance to the Barksdale name, a name his daughter said he used loudly and with great pride. Dante worked on and received his Bachelor's of Arts while working as an outreach worker and his master's degree from Sorgener Douglas College. He had found job security, the opportunity for professional development and advancement, and as someone who lived and breathed in the community that he sought to help and to improve, he was trusted by the other residents, which is a big issue in Baltimore, especially with the police department. They don't trust the police, but they trusted Dante and they trusted other Safe Street employees, which is an organization modeled after a program in Chicago called Ceasefire. Ceasefire was reducing shootings and homicides in Chicago, and so Safe Streets was established and modeled after it. 
Dante was trained as an outreach worker, like many other ex-offenders who were looking to change not only their stories, but to help others in the community straighten out their lives before they're sitting in prison cells or worse, being killed. The program was opened in Baltimore in 2007, and since its introduction in two neighborhoods, it now operates out of 10 catch zones throughout Baltimore. Dante was with the program since the very beginning and was looked to as one of the faces of Safe Street. It was absolutely very dangerous work. Most of their job was centered around making conversation with the residents of the neighborhoods that they canvassed. The Safe Street's violence interrupters wanted to know if there was anyone getting out of prison who could have had like, unfinished business with anyone or any other conflicts that could be going on between rival gangs or between residents for whatever reason. Their job was to be aware of these things and kind of get in there and mediate before it reached a violent level. The program was so effective that one of the most violent neighborhoods in Baltimore, McElderry Park, was homicide-free for over one full year when Dante's life was taken in the neighborhood. On the day he was shot, like I said, Dante was checking on some residents who lived in the Douglas Homes public housing. Just moments before, he was sitting in a vehicle recording a podcast. The podcast will be linked in the show notes, but the episode is titled Remembering Anti-Violence Activist Dante Barksdale. Obviously, when it was recorded, it wasn't known that he was going to be killed only moments later. So listening to the episode itself is almost a little haunting, but really fitting for what he talks about on, and I really recommend listening to it. But after exiting the vehicle, Dante headed into the courtyard of the Douglas Holmes housing and was standing with three other people. One of those three men pulled a gun and opened fire on Barksdale, who was hit nine times in total, six of them being in his head. Detectives were able to quickly identify two of the men that Barksdale was with at the time and was someone that he actually met up with daily. One of those two men later told a relative of Dante's that they knew who shot Dante and that he'd witnessed it himself. This unnamed man claimed that someone named Whammy was responsible for Dante's death. After entering Whammy into the police database, the authorities were able to connect the nickname to 28-year-old Garrick Powell. The witness changed their story four days later, though, when they were brought to the police station for questioning. They told police that they didn't see anything the morning Dante was shot. Their back was turned on the situation as they stood at the back door of their housing unit. Obviously, they weren't willing to cooperate with police, and who knows, it could have been a really dangerous situation if they had cooperated. One of the other men with Dante at the time of the shooting also claimed to have not been next to Dante when it happened. He said that he'd walked away momentarily to sell weed to someone when he actually heard Dante shouting, don't shoot me, but couldn't help more than that as he was unable to recognize the gunman. Dante had only been in that courtyard for roughly 10 minutes when everything happened. He was not there for very long at all. When Safe Street's workers mediated a conflict, they had rules that they followed. One of the rules was that they had to agree to where they were all going to meet ahead of time. Each party of the mediation could bring a friend or two, but the number of like backup brought had to be agreed upon and equal. No weapons were allowed either at all, ever. If any of those rules were broken, mediation was off. No questions asked. Safe Street's workers needed to know that they were trusted and that they could trust those who they were mediating for. I say all of this because homicide detectives were told by federal task force officers that they had heard over a wiretap that one of the witnesses was in a dispute with drug dealers from the area and that Dante was there to mediate it and shot and was shot. 
There's no record of a mediation being scheduled with Safe Streets, though, so there is question as to the validity of this claim. However, it's also consistent with information gathered from other sources throughout the investigation. Three weeks after Dante was murdered, on February 3rd, 2021, an Anne Arundel County police officer pulled over a vehicle with Powell in it. During that stop, they found multiple handguns, of which included a polymer 80 with an extended magazine. This was the same type of gun that experts determined was what was used to have uh, killed Dante. That specific gun was underneath Powell's seat at the time of the traffic stop. Cell phone records showed that Powell had been in the area about an hour before Dante was shot as well, though it's unclear as to whether or not they keep him in the area when Dante was actually killed. There's also surveillance video footage that it was really grainy, really difficult to see, and because it didn't capture the actual murder, it couldn't prove anything either. It was circumstantial. So in February, detectives went back to Douglas Holmes and handed out Metro Crime Stoppers flyers. Not long after, they got a text message tip that read, Whammy Killed Tater, which is Dante's nickname. I want that reward money. Police asked for a warrant for his arrest in March following this text message, but they didn't have their request granted until May of 2021. Whether related or not, Paul's girlfriend was also fatally shot in March of 2021, and her murder has not yet been solved. By the time the case went to court, it was still largely circumstantial. Yes, they had the gun, but defense argued that it could have been anyone's gun, as guns often change hands in Baltimore. Even anyone in the car, it could have been any of their guns. It was possible Powell didn't even know there was a weapon in in the vehicle, you know, loaded and under his seat. For whatever reason, the prosecution never sent this gun away for DNA analysis. The jury wasn't able to hear of anyone pointing the finger at Whammy because the witnesses wouldn't testify to it, and speaking of it in court would have been hearsay and not allowed. Maybe even more damning, the prosecution had no known motive as to why Powell would have killed Dante. I can't believe that they even brought a case to court with no motive. Like, This whole thing just blows my mind. Their case wasn't just circumstantial. It wasn't even a strong case while still considering that. Powell's defense attorney, John Cox, expressed that the prosecution should have never even brought the case to trial in the state that it was in. I mean, I would definitely agree. Using a gun in Baltimore as key evidence was irresponsible because one, they changed hands frequently. Two, it could have been someone else's gun as he wasn't the only one in the vehicle. And three, DNA evidence from the weapon was never even evaluated to prove whether or not Powell had even handled it to begin with. And frankly, even if it had his DNA on it, it couldn't be automatically linked back to a crime that had been committed weeks before. It goes without saying that Dante's family was frustrated with the prosecution and overall with the way the case was being handled. During the trial, Cox made it clear to the jury that prosecution did nothing with the DNA evidence from the recovered gun and that there were three other men who should have been considered suspects. He argued that cell data put his client in the area an hour before the shooting, not just minutes before, an hour before, that he could have been anywhere at the time of the shooting. This wasn't Paul's first time being charged with murder, though. He had been acquitted twice previously, once for a murder charge in 2012 and once for an attempted murder charge. In 2018, he was sentenced to 11 years for a probation violation after being arrested for something related to cocaine. He was freed from prison in March of 2020, though, after an appeals court turned over his probation violation. Unsurprisingly, Paul was acquitted of his first-degree murder charges in the homicide of Dante Barksdale. 
a spokesperson for the police department said that they got the right person and that no additional steps are being taken. His case is no longer being investigated. I'm going to have to agree with this one here. I know that no motive was ever established, but to me, I feel like Paul was messed up on something good and felt, and this is my intuitive input here, so take it or leave it, but I feel like Paul was messed up on something and felt like Dante was in the way of the illegal work that he was doing. Safe Streets was making it harder to live his life of crime because they were actually helping younger people turn it around, pointing them to vocations and helping them improve their lives. And in Paul's irrational and violent thought pattern, Dante was a threat. That's how I feel, at least. There were a few instances where safe street workers, once violent offenders, were actually using the organization to traffic drugs and to make money in the drug trade. You can easily Google and see some of these instances for yourself because I don't really want to get into that as this is, in it, in a nutshell, a really effective organization. And I don't want to mar its name at all based on a few bad seeds that um that were participating in the program. I don't get the feeling that Dante was messed up in anything illegal like that, though. A friend of Dante's, an editor-at-large at Salon Magazine, writer for HBO series We Own the City, and a professor at University of Baltimore, D. Watkins, had this to say about Dante. Dante risked his life and died in front of those he tried to protect in a city where law enforcement lacks the imagination to understand how important his work was. He goes on to describe Dante as loud and passionate, vocal with his feelings and the ideas of what he felt should be changing as a whole within the city and what people could actually do to make it happen. Dante wasn't the only safe street violence interrupter to lose his life. Within 13 months of Dante being killed, two other safe street workers, Kenyal Wilson and Deshaun McGreer, were shot and killed too, seemingly all in unrelated circumstances. Wilson had just left the office in the Cherry Hill Safe Street location to grab dinner before a 5 p.m. meeting. Known to others as Benny Bop, he was the father of two boys and two girls with his beautiful wife, Christina Jones. He actually called her on his way to the hospital to tell her that he'd been shot as he drove the short distance to the hospital. He died at the front door. Deshaun McGreer was working for the McElderly Park location of Safe Streets when he was shot with three other men on January 19th, 2022 on East Monument Street, just about a year after Dante was killed. He had only been working for Safe Streets for about a month when he was killed, attending welding school during the day and working for the organization at night. In 2018, McGreer had been the victim of a police beating that went viral online. There was cell phone footage of a Baltimore police officer taunting McGreer and lashing out and striking him. In response to being hit by the officer, McGreer began to walk away from the situation, separating himself from it. He did not strike the officer back as the officer attacked him, and no charges were pressed on McGreer, but Officer Williams was taken to criminal court and found guilty and sentenced to nine months in prison. McGreer was awarded $500,000 in the settlement from the city of Baltimore. He had his jaw broken by the officer as well as a few ribs. And as I was reading this, I had to wonder how much of that money had to go to medical bills or if the city compensated for that separately. Because we all know that medical bills alone are astronomical. What you didn't get to see on camera was that the officer was continuing to harass McGreer after McGreer noticed an uncomfortable situation unfolding with a woman by herself who had been approached by law enforcement. He went over to make sure that she was okay, that she didn't need any help or felt safe. 
After receiving the settlement money, instead of leaving town, he began going to school for welding and working for Safe Streets. He didn't want to just up and leave. He wanted to see his city and the people in it doing better. If you find yourself thinking, wow, these workers probably have bulletproof vests on, you would be wrong. According to Maryland state law, anyone with a conviction of a violent crime or drug trafficking, which was a large number of safe street workers, they need state police approval to wear body armor. I read in another article that it was possible that the safe street employees would be violating, that they felt they'd be violating trust of those they sought to mediate by showing up with bulletproof vests on, making it appear as if they didn't trust those they were mediating, and then the those in mediation wouldn't trust the safe street employees either. Like they would look more like police officers and that was not what they wanted. As of today, no further action is being taken to find Dante's killer. Like I said, most believe that they had the right guy, but that prosecution failed to pin it on him. Since passing, the Dante Barksdale Career Technology Apprenticeship Fund has been established to help even more young people in the city of Baltimore find work that will get them out of the street and help them to break the cycles that Dante was so proud of breaking on his in his own life. Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health awarded Dante a Community Hero Award long before his death. Dante Barksdale is a hero locally, nationally and internationally for the work that he did to end violence. He believed that communities were best equipped to police their own neighborhoods and that Safe Streets was helping to teach younger citizens to build relationships with each other and to help them learn to resolve conflicts in a nonviolent way, something that likely hadn't been modeled for them growing up. Before his death, Dante wrote Growing Up Barksdale, a true Baltimore story, which I highly recommend reading. In it, he says, I was tired of being locked up, getting robbed by the police, of having to keep an eye out at all times. I wanted a regular job, and it seemed the universe had one in mind for me. As for his close friend, Erica Bridgeford, the Baltimore Community Mediation Center Director and co-founder of Baltimore Ceasefire 365, Dante was sarcastic and funny. You couldn't mistake his seriousness and commitment to the work of reducing gun violence. He laughed easily, but he didn't play when it came to the work he did. He was a role model. When I was going through something, he was the first person I called. Spiritually, now that he is passed, I will rely on him even more. His light will live on. And I'm going to link the Dante Barksdale Career Technology Apprenticeship Fund in the show notes so that you can check it out for yourself and make any donations as you feel called to. That's all I have for today, but I know you'll be back next Monday for another episode of Murder and Mediumship.